For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Thursday, everyone, and it is Giving Hearts Day. And I have two friends waiting in the wings, and both of them have hearts bigger than Texas, as they say. I am so excited that you're here. I see Sherry Callahan, Natasha, Aaron. Aaron is our sponsor for the show, so Aaron keeps me afloat. Thank you, Aaron, for that. And Sherry, I want you to pick a number, one or two, and that will decide who our first guest will be. That way, I don't pick. I'm not showing any favoritism, but I love both of these women very much. And we may have a few other surprises as the show goes on. So today is Big Hearts Day. And this was started uh, about 20 years ago. And this was to give to our favorite charities. There are so many organizations, especially now, who are in need of anything that you could possibly give. So if you have a favorite charity, uh, please put it in the comments section today. And if anyone watching the show is able to make a contribution, uh, by all means do so. Well, our first guest, because Sherry picked door number one, uh, is uh, probably, uh, I, we have been friends for a long time. Uh, she also, as you all know, this is my birthday week. Uh, I will be turning 62 years young on Saturday, and I'm excited about that. Uh, but uh, our friend is turning 26, and she's turning 26 on Valentine's Day. And I'm thrilled that she's here. Meg Slather! 26? Well, I'm just like... <laughs> That's a start. That's a start. A little bit more than that. Actually, well, I want, but I want to say what I'm going to turn. You know why? Because I'm really practicing it. I'm going to be 59. You're a baby. Oh, thank you. You know you what know it feels why like? I say it's important to say your age. First of all, I know, and you know this as well, there are so many people who did not live to be this age. Thank you. Yes. And therefore... Every single day needs to be celebrated. We need to own it. We need to celebrate it. We need to put it out in the world. And, you know, Carol Channing and Carol Channing Larger Than Life, when they're congratulating her on turning 90, she says, I don't know why you're excited. It just happens. Well, it doesn't always just happen. So if you're able to celebrate, by all means do so. I'm going to ask you who your birthday is coming up. How are you celebrating this year? Well, one of the strange sort of blessings of COVID was a celebration of simplicity and quiet and inside. So what I really want to do is just have pad thai with my husband and watch a movie. I know that sounds very basic, but but I, I feel like we should always have a month of celebrations, right? Uh, well, I do too. Well, oh, I, you know, as you know, I do it every day. Exactly. <laughs> the whole year. It's redundant uh, for you to like to have only one day as your birthday. But yeah. um but uh so hopefully there'll be like other little soirees. But yeah, I think just quiet, you know, bringing it in quietly. Cuz you know, I always think that your birthday is also your anniversary with your mother. Yes. Because well, we did that together. That's true. That so it's a little melancholy for me in in the best sense of the word melancholy. It's 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 that empty space that I want to embrace and honor. Um, but what's fun is God bless social media. That makes it an event, you know, all those, the one good thing about Facebook is your birthday. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's one of them, but you know, Carol Channing, you know, her birthday was the 31st. She's also an Aquarian oh, no. and, uh, January 31st. And we used to get together and celebrate our birthdays. Mm. And the first time I was coming out to Palm Springs and I said, let's celebrate our birthdays. She said, you know, Richard, I'm a Christian scientist. We don't celebrate birthdays. I didn't know. And I said, Carol, let me explain what birthdays are about. It's not about you celebrating. It's about everybody celebrating you. Mm. And she said, you know, that's the first time it makes sense. <laughs> You're a very good friend to her. You taught her a lot as well, didn't you? And from that point on, here we are. Here we are together. That's Aww. the first time uh, that I performed for her. Um, 
But we, uh, I did learn a lot from her. And someday, I think I want to write a book called My Life as I Taught to Me by Carol, or something along those lines. But I want to talk about Becky. Yes. I want to talk about that brilliant light that was your mom. Mm -hmm. uh, and you refer to Becky by her name. What yeah. did start for you? That's such a great question. It really, I think, started with her care. Something shifted. Um, I, I think I still mom would slip in and out. I think I'd say, I love you, mom. Like certain phrases stayed mom. But I, I think because I was running her care and I was becoming her parent, um, mom sometimes didn't feel right. I also think she really loved, I wanted her to keep remembering her name. I wanted people to say her name a lot to her so that she'd never forget that she was Becky Flather. So I think that's also why I did it. Because it would every time she heard her name, she'd be like, oh, oh, that's me. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> to the very end, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think it started when the role reversal with no rehearsal happened. Role reversal with no rehearsal. I like that. Yeah, that's when in one of the lyrics on the second floor is the, the song I wrote in the early stages of caregiving. And I remember, you know, the lyric is, I'm rooted in illusion, more clear amidst confusion in this role reversal with no rehearsal on the second floor. Oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's well, there are two things that I want to say that I feel very honored. Um, I, I got to know Becky. Uh, she was in the audience at least twice that I know of. Oh, um, I, think, I think at least twice a month for that good first year of Iguana that I was in, that I was participating. It was a very big part of her week. Wow. Um, we well, really look forward to it. And her and chicken quesadilla. I will always cherish also the night that she transitioned to the other side because we all got together that night. We came to your apartment and you were You'd been through this whole uh, situation of her going through the various stages. Uh, and you've also now put it into a book. Uh, so what was your process in terms of telling this story and putting it on the pages of a book? And, you, you know, it's such a personal story, but it's also a story that many people share in. That uh, was my hope, yes. What was your hope that people would come away with with your incredible book? Well, first of all, you, you, my friend, when we had an interview in September of 2021, I believe it was, or was it 2020 September? It was 2020 September. Yeah. And you, and we were talking about the diva book and you said, well, when are you going to write one about Becky? And I remember going, oh, no, 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 no. And, uh, but you got, a, you got in there. You did. And, uh, and I never forgot that. And I appreciated that gentle push. But what ended up happening is um, I watched this documentary on Netflix about Joan Diddy and the great writer. And she wrote, you know, the year of magical thinking that, yes. play that Vanessa Redgrave did, which mom and I saw, you know, all about losing her husband and her daughter in the same year. And at the end of the documentary, she was talking about grief and writing about grief in such a practical, useful uh, productive way. I swear something pushed me out of the bed to this desk and I knew it was all waiting for me. I knew how it was going to start and how it was going to end. I knew what the first sentence was going to be. So I just began. And this is where I think I'm a smart um, creator. I don't put a lot of pressure on myself. I said, you're going to write a chapter a day because then I got COVID. <laughs> So I got COVID and now I was inside for like seven days straight. And so I wrote a chapter a day, but I wanted them to be easy, short, concise, useful stories feeding into a bigger theme to stay in the moment, which was the greatest gift she gave me, and to um, embrace intimacy while someone's brain is dying that they still can give to you, that they still can teach you, that they still are your parent. You just have to go to their world as opposed to wishing that they could stay in your world. So I have a lot of veiled lessons. I hope I don't sound preachy in it. Um, but no, it, it's, a, it's a brilliant book. 
Oh, I mean, I wanted it to be easy. I wanted people to pick it up, read a chapter, put it down. It's short. Um, it's, you know, hopeful. There's a lot of humor. I mean, she was such a great human being to the end. She was so entertaining until the end. She was still Becky to the end. And she moved everybody that took care of her, every caregiver that entered her apartment, everybody that visited her. Um, so that's what inspired it was Joan Didion, you know, Joan Didion. And then having the time of COVID where I couldn't do other things that I wanted to do because I needed to rest. So by the end of the COVID uh, spell, I had seven chapters written. And so when you have seven chapters written, you're in it. And you're, and then, and so then I just couldn't finish. So then I finished, and then I had a couple of dear friends read it, and then I found brilliant um, Mark Wood to because uh, oh, yeah. he's a really good editor, and he yeah. was great. He was very hands off. He didn't change content. He only told me when he didn't understand something, so I'd have to just be a little more clear. And then we tweaked it and tweaked it together. And then the magical thing that happened was Karina Sowers Adler was working um, with this progressive church that was giving her a great space to do her teaching of her students. And in return, uh, Karina said, can you, you know, the minister said to Karina, can you create these sort of outdoor secular concerts that have some real teaching to them? So then our good friend Lisa Vigiano said, well, Meg will do a show about caregiving. So there is Karina, of course, Richard Skipper, Karina, and then Lisa Vigiano. What a great trio of people to support you. And, and Lisa Vigiano, if I'm not mistaken, is also an Aquarian. No, I think Libra. She's a Libra. Oh, she is a Libra. Libra. So well, then I so then the husband went to Australia and I had time on my hands on the couch. And that show has been waiting to be written forever. And it starts with my AIDS volunteer work, caring for my father and then caring for my mother. And it's an hour-long solo piece based on the book largely. And it's the first time all my songs about caregiving and mom um, and the stories really found a home. So that's what I've been focusing on, doing show the show about caregiving and then letting people know about the book and that all the songs are out there uh, on the wild, wild internet, but they're free on YouTube. And there's a, a playlist uh, of the songs of Hold On Tight so that you can read the book and then listen to the songs and experience it on different levels. Because sometimes the songs could say more than a long written passage, especially the tough stuff. It's interesting. The songs relay the heartache more than I wrote about the heartache. Wow, that's amazing. Isn't that interesting how that happened? Uh, you know, I'll mention this very quickly and then we're gonna bring on our next guest. So yes, yes, yes. Anthony Rapp has a new uh, one-man show out. Yes, I saw that on New York One this morning. He was being oh, interviewed. <laughs> I am dying to see it. And I and uh, we are working on getting him on this platform, folks. So it may be happening. Uh, but he wrote this play because when Rent opened, everyone knows legendarily that Jonathan Larson left the theater feeling fine, hmm. went home, had an aneurysm, and died just as they were about to open this show. They were still, you know, just getting ready to start. They need to go through previews. The show was not the solid show that we've come to know. Ah. We did uh, work still. At the same time that this is happening, Anthony Rapp's mother was dying. Oh, and that's God. what this show is about. And it's a very cathartic way of bringing everything on stage tonight. I am going to bring on uh, our next guest, Yay. who also is a February baby. Uh, her birthday, Barbara Minkus. Hi. Hello. Do you know, do you know Meg? No, but I, bro, just listening to you. I, oh, nice to meet you, bro. you Aquarian, you. You and I, you know, the nice... One of the one most wonderful things about Richard, because there are so many, he, you know, networks, meet with people, and we you make new friends. Like yes, yes, and he's the center of the wheel. Well, Dolly Levi was my inspiration. You all know that. <laughs> I put my hand in here. I twist a little, stir a little, hit a little. Uh, but Barbara also has a one-woman show. 
Uh, and uh, Barbara, what what you? I know you just recently did it um, in the midst of celebrating how many years? 50, 50 years of wedded bliss. And uh, of course, um, I know the husband. So uh, if you see him, you understand why they're happily married for 50 years. <laughs> so, um, but tell everyone about your, your 18 minutes of fame. Well, <laughs> the, the title 18 minutes of fame actually came, you know, 15 minutes of fame, which was Andy Warhol's uh, little saying. And I had written a show called I'm Not Famous. And I brought it to uh, Jim Morgan. And he said, oh, Barbara, you know, this wonderful show, but you can't use a negative title. I said, oh, you can't? He said, no, you know, it's got to be positive, which of course I am positive. So I went home and I said, home is LA. And I said, what am I going to do? I don't have a positive title. And I don't know why it was, it was Passover and I was getting ready for a Seder. You know, I have to balance work, play and family. It's very important for me. So I was on my way to rent a, a large tablecloth and I said, that's it, out of nowhere. 18 minutes of fame. That, and I wrote Jim Morgan. Well, I've yet to do the show there, but that's my dream. Uh, 18 minutes. Yeah, I love it, Barbara. <laughs> uh, we're going to change that. It's your intention. Ah, yes, I like that. Intention. Yes. I, I like even better. I desire an image. Uh, I, my friend Kasira, she she's gotten me rid of saying the word desire, and uh, I'm going to replace it with another word. Okay. I require an image. Whoa! Whoa! You're cooking with gas tonight. Kasira, <laughs> you know. I'm going to replace it with another word. Although I do like I love this. Yes. We got to have our own language. That's the gift of being an individual. Mm. I see an image. I yeah. see. It. You see it. Um, so, anyways, about the show, talk about a journey. It's Richard got me going on all of this. Uh, I I'm deeply grateful to you for. Oh, I love you so much. You no, know, Richard, really and truly, you don't know what you give to people, and that's not. Selling, it's the truth. It's, you're a man of truth, and I love truth. Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, changed the title, and I said I'm going to make it all as positive as I can. And I did. You know, I, I, if people know about me from when I first came to New York, I, I was a fat comedian. I weighed 200 pounds. Wow. And I, I weigh 98 today. So... Um, it's a different world when you grow up being a fat kid, you know, and my only saving grace in all of that is that I was very funny. I decided that I would make life half full rather than half empty. And Keep talking. Um, I'm going to pull. Uh, do you mind if I bring up one of the pictures that a fan just sent of you? Oh, I love that picture. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go and I'm going to search in my email. Keep talking. Uh, the two of you keep talking. <laughs> I wanted to write a true show about and sing stories, tell stories around song, little snippets of songs. And, um, and it came from actually uh, doing a benefit that Arnold Margolin came to. Arnold Margolin was the producer of Love American Style. And I was on Love American Style for six years. Oh, I love that. Oh, Friday nights. Yes, yes. Um, I, I have to tell you, Barbara is the woman running through Burbank with the brass bed. Not only that, I'm the woman who's thrown over the cliff. That's there. right. And or left at the altar. I was part of blackout which were short little vignettes that were shown in between the stories with the the famous people wow how cool are you thanks it was a wonderful six years it really it really cemented me here in los angeles and i also had a blind date with a really great guy as i was doing love american style and needless to say that's still going on wow <sighs> 50 years later. I wish we could see that show again. I wish it would be on oh. one of the channels, you know? 
I wish I could do it live so it could be on one of the channels. <laughs> but anyway, um, Arnold came to see me at a benefit that I was doing for St. Mark's Church. The musical director is the 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 so we did this. And a week after I did the benefit here at St. Mark's Church, I was in New York and I met Arnold Margolin for lunch. I figured he was going to just tell me so, so many wonderful things about my show. And he said, Barbara. And I knew I was in trouble right then and there when he said, Barbara, you know, there are a lot of older singers. And I said, oh, my God, here we go, that are as good or better than you. However, Barbara, no one tells a story like you. And that's what I got from watching that benefit. It's time for you to write a show about your stories and sing songs around them about the stories. And so that's what I did. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I can't, it's a very empowering experience to write a solo show. And Barbara, I have to tell you, guess who my guest is on my birthday on Saturday. Do you know? Marion Haley Moss. My best friend. <laughs> in the world. She's going to be on it. I'm going to tell my Marion Haley Moss story and then I'll, I'll tell you. Okay. It's not in the show, but this is a true story. Uh, when I first came to New York, I just was a young thing and I was a chubby. And I had an audition at, I think it was Gray Advertising. Mm -hmm. And I had just done a recording, uh, the first recording of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown playing Lucy that Clark Gessner wrote for Decca Records. He wrote the record. And so I was just very proud of myself. And I came out of the audition and the and this woman sitting on, in the waiting room said, e excuse me, um, could you uh, could you tell me the time? <laughs> I said, honey, I just used that voice. She said, what do you mean? I'm, I'm Marion Haley and, and and this is the way I talk. And it is the way she talks. <laughs> I love her so much. Oh, oh Marion, I'm so sorry. I thank you for calling me out on this. You've got a wonderful voice. She said, Well, you really just you sound just like me, you know, Barbara. So I leave the audition that's and I go and we exchange phone numbers and addresses. I leave the audition and I go home. I lived across the street from City Center on 55th and there's a buzzer ringing and I go uh, and I answer it over the speaker and I say hello and she says is this Barbara Minkus? I said yes. Well I don't know if you remember me but I just met you at Gray Advertising. It's Marion Haley. And I said Marion oh my gosh that's fast that you, we would connect again. Well I just went to another audition and Barbara you're so right for it. I told him I was going to come right over to meet you and tell you to go right over and, and go do it because you're going to get it Barbara. Guess, oh, what a woman. Who does that? Wow. And fellow Aquarian. She just oh, had a birthday this week. I got the audition. That doesn't surprise me. It was a fab commercial that won an award. And the line that I said when the when two gossipy women are at a restaurant and they see another woman and and uh, so the one woman says to her, oh my God, that woman, she doesn't do a thing. I mean, she can't even, she can't even do her laundry. And I said, yeah, but who's going to tell her that she has to put fab in the washer? And that was it. <laughs> Marion Haley and I went on a journey to become intellects. Well, intellects as far as reading the New York Times every day. <laughs> that's that's an achievement, though. That's an achievement. I'm talking about the editorials. <laughs> dearest friend. I love her, and I'm so happy she's going to be. She just had her birthday, Richard. I know. I know. We're, we're going to celebrate uh, my birthday together on Saturday. Oh, you're going to I love Marion so much. I want to ask you a question, and then I'm going to turn it over to Meg, and I want to get your response to this as well. You said a few moments ago that when you reached out to Jim Morgan, who we love at the York Theater, um, the title that you originally had, he thought was too negative. Right. Um, when it comes to telling our stories, 
you know, um, I and you all know this, and my little plug for my show that's coming up. I'm writing a show called Plate Spinners, Jugglers, and Richard Skipper. Tales of a Lifetime in Show Business. Because, and I wear this proudly, uh, when Donald Smith was asked if I was going to be appearing in the Cabaret Convention, he said, and I quote, when we allow people like Richard Skipper, what's next, plate spinners and jugglers? <laughs> and I don't take it as a negative because I'm proud to be in that category. So I'm owning it. Um, these stories that are personal, that are our truth. Yes. Um, it's important, I believe, that these stories do make themselves into the world. Because the truth of the matter is, whether it's show business or whether you're a doctor or a therapist or uh, whatever it is that you are doing, um, this is who you are. And people everywhere can relate to these mishaps in life, if you will, that send us down a different path or throw us a monkey wrench in our lives. Um, Barbara, if you don't mind my going in this direction, no, no. you also um, tell them about your opening night on Broadway and what happened. I mean, a Broadway opening night, folks. Everybody lives, eats, and breathes for this. <laughs> and Barbara Mikas opens on Broadway and tell them what happens. Well, um... <laughs> it was a beautiful show. It was called The Education of Hyman Kaplan. And it starred Tom Bosley as Hyman and Hal Linden as mm. the arrogant Yessel Fishbein who comes from the old country to marry Rose Mitnick in an arranged marriage. And it was directed by Mr. George Abbott. Mm. I calls him Mr. He was just the best. So we went through rehearsals and and previews were in Philadelphia and it, oh, the buzz was really big. It was a wonderful, wonderful show. The night before we opened, the secondary uh, papers and Time magazine, you know, different, the secondary magazines and papers came and it was just magic. Everybody was so excited about the the show. Opening night was a benefit for the NAACP with Sammy Davis Jr. and Ruby D and Mayor John Lindsay as the guests of honor. And, and the first act goes really great. And then after intermission, the audience comes back and they start the, the second act and, and something is really wrong. The audience is different and the cast can't figure out what's happening. And Mr. Abbott didn't want us to know. There was a lot of people that had left at intermission. And the rest of the world knew what had happened because it was the night that Martin Luther King was killed. Oh, wow. So, uh, needless to say, uh, Hyman Kaplan only lasted two weeks more. Uh, and Mr. Abbott even put some money into the show to keep it going, you know, to see, because, but the truth is, you know, all of Broadway went dark that week and, but people didn't know what was going to be happening with the country. And that's a realistic concern. So um, uh, the show closed and um, I decided to run, don't walk back to, not back to, I had never, I'd been to LA to do the Danny K show, but I just said, I have to run away now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I came it's here. Crazy. crazy. But that's just one of those situations in life where this comes out of left field. Meg, when Becky started to show early signs, um, and you write about this in the book, um, talk about why it was important for you to share this intimate story with a bigger audience, both in print and on stage? Because it was the greatest thing I ever did was be a caregiver and to run her care. And, um, and I was so proud of us. Mm -hmm. Like when she had the most beautiful death, the most beautiful passage, exactly the way she always wanted it. And it was hard at the end. 
And I had made her, I, well, I made her a promise that I, I could, would not move her. I made, she, she made me promise no nursing home. And I kept that promise, but it was getting harder and harder and harder. And, uh, and it's, I felt such a, a power of, of sort of angelic energy listening to me. And I literally would talk to my father every night and say, like, when she's had enough, you have got to take her. <laughs> because I can't, I can't move her. And this is getting really hard. And the poor caregivers, you know, just lifting and all the, you know, because we, everyone loved her so much. Everybody tried to give her the very best care possible. And that meant a bath every day and washing her hair every day and keeping her clean. And, and, uh, and we did it. But anyway, I wanted, uh, I wanted to tell these stories because what was interesting for me was the people in life that thought it was so very sad and that it was depressing. And I didn't see it that way at all. Mm -hmm. I saw it as aging. I saw it as changing. I saw it as her evolving in her body and in her decaying brain to force her to develop something else in herself. Because my mother, Barbara, was a type A perfectionist, workaholic, amazing rock star, midwife in New York City, who delivered 6,000 babies, who started clinics, who trained so many nurses, so many doctors, so many midwives. She was all about women's rights and health and choice. And, uh, and be long before that, my parents were in the Peace Corps. And so she had a real global look at women's rights and women's health, especially when it came to prenatal care and supporting the mother. And, uh, and so, she was, so she was that person. But then as her brain began to die, she became this childlike, uh, available, emotional, affectionate, loving, happy, carefree, smiling bunny rabbit. Oh. So I loved her. I, I don't, I, I, I missed Becky, powerhouse Becky, but then I fell in love with patient Becky. And then I just stayed with her with each chapter of her decline. And I loved that Becky and I loved that Becky and I loved that Becky to the point that when now I grieve her, I, I don't think about that powerhouse of the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. I think about my little girl, you know, that she, was still me. she was teaching me to the very end about intimacy, about connection and being in the moment, being yeah. in the moment, which is why it's called hold on tight because yeah. she taught me that. And, uh, and I don't know, you know, I, I, I'd like to think I would be a, a, a responsible daughter if she was a terrible patient, <laughs> but she made it so easy to give of myself. But I, it was a article on new year's day, actually um, about stoicism, uh, Marcus Aurelius. And he said that for the moment that we come through the birth canal, we are doing two things every single day. We are becoming and we are dying oh. every single moment of our lives. And as I read this, I thought so many of us go through life. And I want to talk about something that is in the news today uh, in a moment, because I would love to get both of you, your perspective on this. Uh, but uh, I think about how we live in a world, especially here in the United States, where everything is win, 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 win. You have to be number one. You have to be the top. I mean, a perfect example of this, and I'm not getting political at anyone. I'm just putting this out there. The fact that the Speaker of the House went through 15 votes because he was so determined that he was going to have that gavel in his hand. And, uh, and again, regardless of what side you're on politically, um, that kind of you know, um, determination of wanting something. Uh, some people have it and some don't. Because in this country, we're not allowed uh, to fail in a public uh, arena. We are supposed to be the winner. We're supposed to be number one. We're supposed to be there. And the process um, is, you know, again, I was watching this documentary last night on Liza and she said the magic doesn't happen on stage. 
the magic happens in the rehearsal studio. That's when I am able to try things out and go, let's try this. I'm able to be a little off key or I'm able to do that. Because once you that curtain goes up and the lights are on all of us, we are all in this fishbowl of all of those people out there judging everything we're doing. Oh, she doesn't sound as good as she did last time I saw her. She doesn't look as good as the last time I saw her. She doesn't, you know, all those things are coming about. Um, the thing that I want to talk about that's in the news because um, Burt Bacharach, mm. you know, mm. what an important, when I think about his passing, I can't mourn because the body of worth as I that he has left behind it's forever. my device. I won't say it, it, the name because it'll go off. But mm -hmm. I, when I heard that he passed away, I said, what's his name? Play Burt Bacharach. And the first song that came on, what do you think it is? Either of you. Do you know the way to San Jose? <laughs> Barbara? I hope he wrote what the world needs now. What the world needs oh, yes. now. Yes. That was the first song yes. that came on. And I thought, if this man didn't do anything else. That's right. If he that just did song one song. That song is our anthem. And it is It is the truth. It, it is the truth. And what you did with your mom was out of love. And accepting her for the... And, and acknowledging her for the moment that she was in, the way she was in it, is love. You know, it's interesting, Barbara. I think this whole idea of aging, we were talking about this earlier. You know, uh, why can't we embrace aging? I, when she finally passed away, her body, her skin, her hair were so beautiful to me. And it was this body that had lived 85 years. And, and I thought it was more beautiful than anything I had ever seen because it had lived 85 years. And she was such a champion through the dementia years. She just kept her chin up. I mean, she really, she was the unsinkable Molly Brown. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and so as we approach, like I have, I have a birthday um, next week and, and, and Richard and I are talking about how we always say our age because I think we need to, you know, celebrate getting older, settle, celebrate all the experiences that have made us this person. And as women and as performers, that's not always easy uh, because there are shallow people out there that will hold your age against you. But I'm, I decided long but ago. Don't you think that that is really a sign and both, you know, both of you can weigh in on this. I think that in our culture that um, mortality is something that a lot of people are afraid of. Yeah. Um, it's inevitable. It's going to happen if we're God willing. But I think that because of that, people are afraid. I mean, when I think about, uh, you know, my mom was 41 the day that I left South Carolina. Uh, my grandmother was always, to me, in my mind's eye, um, this older woman. But as I've gotten older and I look back at pictures of my grandmother, my grandmother was younger than I am now when I went to New York. Yeah. And that blows my yeah. mind when I think about it. And this image that we have um, of, you know, women and men too. Um, grandmothers don't look like grandmothers looked when we were kids. But if they're going to cast an actress as a grandmother... They want her to look like a quote unquote typical grandmother instead of just going, you know, um, David Zimmerman, if you're watching David, one of my favorite people on the planet, he does um, this, uh, these workshops, which both of you should be a part of, uh, called Meet the Biz. And it was one of the most life affirming moments for me to go in and be a part of this virtual workshop where everyone is living with disabilities. And one woman spoke up and she is um, a little person. And she said, when I walk into an audition, they think Wizard of Oz, uh, 
Christmas show at Radio City Music Hall, uh, Elf, uh, they, because they see her as that stereotypical image. What they don't see is a wife, a mother, a grandmother, a lover, and all the things that we are. And I think we, um, you know, even the business of, and I'm going to get into some hot water right now, mm-hmm. of pronouns, which I think are important. But I think we're getting so caught up on the pronouns that we're forgetting the people behind the pronouns. Mm. Interesting. You know, I think sometimes when we get through something new and exciting, like what we're going through now with pronouns, it 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 seems in history, in the history, past history, go one side, and then we got to come back to the middle. And that's what's missing, the middle. To accept everyone for whoever and whatever they want, way they want to live, but we got to be in the middle because we're all important. We all are valuable. Everything's a pendulum swing, you yeah. know? And, and so when, when we understand that it's going to come back, I know it's, I mean, that's, that's because that's the way I've lived my whole life is it's going to come back. Well, I'll tell you a story. Once I I performed at a country club, and uh, it was one of truly one of the worst audiences that I ever performed for. And I'm talking to Carol Channing the next day about this, and I said, "Carol, I said this audience was so horrible," and she said, "Richard, don't you know that country club audiences are the worst audiences in the world because they're not there to see you; they're there to see each other." And in order for a show to succeed, you need people from all walks of life. Mm. You need nurses and you need housewives and you need firemen and you need construction workers all sitting together in this collective dark, experiencing what we as artists are bringing to the table. And how lucky are we? That's that's beautiful. And I agree. I mean, you do you remember how unified we would feel as a country, because we would all watch the Oscars and we'd all comment about the Oscars the next day at our various jobs. And, right. and we'd all watch the Olympics and we'd all watch a pres- presidential debate and we'd all watch the walk on the moon. You know, we watched the, and we, and I would feel the whole country together watching their little black and white TV like us. And now there's just so much content. There's so many platforms you can, it's, it's a, it's a lonelier experience uh, being moved. And I, I miss feeling that audience. Like I remember watching, I remember my father sitting me down and watching the entire series of roots and knowing I was watching television oh, history. Yeah. And now I can watch it online. But you know, I will say this and you know, with my decision to leave Facebook, um, the, deciding factor for me and i do come on one day a month i will be on on the 19th that's my day of the month oh that's interesting and i have a reason by that um i have not missed it uh i will be honest with you um when jay rogers passed away uh jay rogers was the director of my last show and uh it was i was having a conversation with our mutual friend tim moss and tim moss just said too bad about jay and i said what are you talking about And he said the fact that he passed away. And I felt like this, the air just went out of me because I did not know that Jay had been sick because he had kept it very private. Um, I did not know. um, And when I was speaking with our musical director about this, and I said, did you know that Jay Rogers had passed away? He said, well, yes, I figured you of all people would know because you're always on Facebook. Mm. And The fact is, number one, I'm not always on Facebook. So let me put that out there. But one person in the entire cabaret community, and I'll tell you who it was, it was Michael Colby, called me to offer condolences. uh, Because he knew that Jay and I had worked so close together on that show. Uh, And I had known Jay for many, many years. But my concern and my fear when it comes to social media is that people are becoming uh, items in a newsfeed. 
Mm. And when it pops mm. up in the newsfeed, people think about it. They're going to, because we're used to this swiping uh, mentality, hit the like button and move on to the next news. And that's why I decided to leave. It's too much. It's too much stimulation. And, 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 and it's impossible to be friends with everybody. And it's, there's a lot of false intimacy, false connection, false friendship. Not bad. Just there's no way. There's no way you can be, you know, and I think for me, one of the gifts of the pandemic, again, was this kind of going back home again, going back to the garden, you know, to quote Joni Mitchell. Yes. Uh, just how many friends do you really need? You know, what kind of day do you want to spend? Uh, how many, like, just to get kind of go inside, literally go inside again without the noise, without the comparison, without the pressure, without the clock ticking. Um, to just check in again, like who the heck am I and what do I wish to do with myself? And, and how do I wish to serve, serve, not, but serve. How am I most oh, useful? What, what can I give of myself? I have to tell everyone, I went the other night to see this new documentary, which uh, was showing for one night only. I think it's going to go directly to PBS uh, called Facing the Laughter. Hmm. Uh, about Minnie Pearl. Oh. And Minnie Pearl, believe it or not, she went to a very affluent women's college. She studied drama and she wanted to be a Shakespearean actress. And the drama teacher said to her, I, 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 I got choked up in the movie theater. Um, the drama teacher said, you will always touch the hymns of uh, greatness, but you will never be a star yourself. And that crushed her. It was soul crushing. But then they would, because she created this mini Pearl character, they would send her out uh, to go into the town square or something to publicize the show coming in. And it started taking off. Her first night on stage at the Grand Ole Opry um, she, and this has never happened, and she wasn't a singer. Think about this country music. Um, they asked her back. And when she came back the following week, uh, as she was, because this was a radio program that was around the country, as she was getting ready to leave, they said, take those bags over there. She said, what, what, what is that? And they said, it's your fan mail. Oh. And she was literally, she worked at the Grand Opry week after week after week. Are you ready for this? $50 a week. And she never had a contract. That was, uh, she was herself. She was giving love. What you were talking about. Giving. Giving. Now, yeah. I want to tell you the story, but it's not funny. But I went up to something, and I don't want to talk about what it was recently. You know, it's really hard to go still go up on auditions, no matter what. You know, you work really hard to become what you think that character is and learn the song and get the arrangement and work on the sides. And, and I, I was very proud of myself that I did it because this is a part I would not have contestant and by the way I wasn't but that's beside the point and uh I really enjoyed the experience of capturing what I thought this character was and it was great gardens and um wow. and I waited and I I said to my husband you know I don't I don't think I mean I even though I thought I really was what I thought that woman would be that Edith um, that that's not going to happen for me because, you know, it's just not going to happen. And and I was right. And I said, so what? But I'm not going to get upset about that. I was wrong <laughs> because no matter how we put when we put ourselves out and we're so vulnerable, you just have to know that there's got to be a little bit of oh why, you know, you know. So I said, okay, Barbara, you're going to give yourself one day to feel badly. Mm -hmm. that's it which is what I did one day feeling badly and I have this these bracelets see these bracelets they go like this it's instead of having a rubber band 
And I, what I do is, you're not going. It's over. Moving on. And I said, but God, because I talked to God, mm-hmm. I'm going to need something to make me feel better. Because that really, that you know, I need to find something that good to happen. And I got an email from my agent. Said this man is just wrote me. He's looking for you. And here is what he wrote me. Well, his father, who was 95 years old, was the driver for all the character, the, the, the blackout people, all of us, the six of us, when we went to the beaches and we went to Santa Monica and we, he, and he said, 95 years old, I'll never forget that little, funny, pretty, but positive Jewish woman. And I, Barbara Minkus. And I, he said, and my father still talks about you, Barbara. He's in a, he, you know, he's in a hospital. And uh, do you think you could send a picture? I said, thank you, God. I wrote, I remember him. And that he remembered me? What a gift. It was like, thank you. Thank you, God. I, I needed something. I don't need apart i right. just to be acknowledged and feel that i make a difference thank you that's it that's, that's it. it that's and it. uh as you will say here in my closing remarks i say that at the end of every show um it's it's important that we take the time to do that because you never know what someone else is going through uh i had joanna gleason on the show and joanna gleason said that she says at the end of her shows um, on Sunday nights, I always say, pick up the phone and call someone. She says on Sunday nights, call someone that you haven't spoken to in a while. Because for a lot of people, Sunday night is the loneliest night of the week. Yes. Yes. And she says that at the end of every single show. Um, as we begin to wrap up, I want to end on a, a, a higher note. You know, this is such an important conversation that we're having. And uh, the universe... God, a higher power, whatever your version of it is, sent both of you to me today because you're my gifts. Uh, So uh, it means so much because I love you both so much. So um, I'll start with you, Meg, since you came on first. Uh, Pick a number, one through four. I was going to choose four, so four. And this is your mystery question. As I take on new challenges, I feel calm confident and powerful. Oh, I like that. I'll take that. So let that be your mantra as you go through today and tomorrow and the rest of the year. Um, What new challenges are giving you your power now? The challenge to break from the same uh, routine and the same ways of performing. I'm trying to dare to imagine my one-woman show in very different rooms. Not necessarily cabarets, but different rooms, wherever anybody wants to hear this story about caregiving. Uh, it doesn't require anything. I can, I can. I want I it. Ah! <laughs> I, and, and I also think that part of the COVID lesson uh, is that a lot has not come back and a lot is not coming back. And so we can grieve that. But then we've got to figure out, well, what is this next thing? Mm-hmm. What are we supposed to be a part of while we're grieving and missing the past? Because I get very nostalgic with you, Richard. I'm like, oh, we've won. I'm like, yeah, we get nostalgic. But then like, what is the next thing? And I think the next thing is we are, it's essential that we think outside of the box and that we create different ways to perform and different ways to support artists um, because the existing structure is too expensive. It's too expensive for the customers, too expensive for the owners. It's, it's too expensive for the artists. You know, few people can really carry it off, but what about all these people that have things to give? And again, I think it's like a return to the garden. You know? I'm glad that you said this. Y- yesterday, I Does that went- make any sense? Oh, are you kidding me? It makes sense. Yesterday, I went... Uh, I'm going to be trying my show out here before I take it to Washington. And I went to the venue, this beautiful restaurant that's literally within 30 seconds, door to door 
from my front door. Yeah, I can just walk over and perform there. Um, but I went in, I met with them yesterday. And uh, luckily for me, I mean, they're making, they don't normally do cabaret shows in this room, but they're making an exception for me. Mm -hmm. And the only major expense beyond my show expenses is if I wanted to have the piano tuned. Are you kidding me? I <laughs> yes. Of but I I was told how many people we could comfortably get in the room, but uh, there's a certain hierarchy based on, you know, if I meet this nut, uh, I won't have those extra expenses. But they have a staff, they have all these things. And uh, just this past week, Someone who was scheduled to do a show uh, uh, tomorrow night uh, had to cancel her show because of the number of reservations on the book. The venue sent her an email. It got picked up. Someone else is presenting it. Uh, so it turned out to be a happy ending. Um, the venue wrote to her and said, you don't have enough reservations. Do you want to cancel? And I asked her, think about this, both of you. I asked her, what is the club doing to turn that around? Hmm. Because it takes the same energy to do an e-blast as it does to send out an email to a Well, person. that's an interesting say, point. Say you, you don't have enough reservations. When they, I know that they have a list of people that they could send things to. If you, I mean, the Metropolitan Room, I'll put it out there, they used to send out something when I was doing uh, the press for Julie Budd. Julie Budd! They would send out an email that would say, it's time to get your ducks in a row. Have you done this, this, this? And I'm going, why don't you just do an e-blast instead of putting the performers through this? It always rests on the shoulders of the performer. <laughs> and it shouldn't. It shouldn't. No. We are bringing business into these venues. So, Barbara, we're going to run out of time. You get to pick your uh, your question, one through three. Two. And yours is, and it's another uh, statement. It's every day I will become more fill in the blank. Ooh. Every day I will become more of what I really am. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. That's so powerful. I was going to say, and I'm going to add on to that, as I give my closing remarks, and then Meg, and then Barbara, I'm going to have you give the final word today. It could be about anything that we spoke about today that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message. Every day I get up and I do my morning pages. Thank you, Julia Cameron, for the artist way. I do them every morning. And I pull a word for the day and I, I meditate on that word. I think about that word. I let that word resonate through everything I do all day. And the word I pulled this morning was expansion. Mm. Uh, and I think that all of us every day, it's like going back to Marcus Arielis. We are becoming and dying every day. Um, we need to expand. We need to become more of our authentic selves. The bottom line is when Barbara or Meg or myself walk into a room to audition and we may get it, we may not get it, we're putting ourselves on the line. Uh, when we pick up the phone to call a venue to say, I have a show that I'd like to bring to your venue, it's all a matter of whether or not they are going to say yes. One of my great books that I love is by Shonda Rhimes and it's mm -hmm. called the year of saying yes. She made a commitment for one year to say yes to every opportunity that came her way. Uh, if it was going to help expand her and it worked and look at the career that she has. I think if all of us could convince ourselves to say yes more times than we say no, you'll be surprised at the results and for everyone watching, it's up to you to say yes as well. Um, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Oh, yeah. I did. Yes. And I made a new friend. Oh, yes. you. Thank you. Thank Please you. share this with your friends. Please leave a comment on YouTube. Uh, hit the like button. Tell other people about it. Um, 
I reached out to a well-known person in the business last week. Uh, one of my assistants did. And they said, Richard's numbers are not big enough. My, hold on a second. Ziggy, stop. Started, started singing there. So this star uh, in the cabaret world uh, said my numbers were not big enough. And I don't know if that came from himself or his assistant, but I said, this is my statement. Feel free to send it or not. And my statement is, I stopped looking at numbers quite some time ago. I do what I do because it gives me joy. And I want to honor people, artists, and their body of worth. There's always room at my table for everybody. For those who choose not to sit at my table, that's a choice that they make. And truly, it's not going to put a dent in my life. So let's take that information and go with it. Uh, as someone pointed out to me, he said, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. Some are in canoes, some are in kayaks, some are in rafts, some are in yachts, some are in sailboats, some are pushing tugboats upstream. Doesn't matter as long as you have a skipper by your side. And on that note, I'm going to leave it. I'm turning it over to you, Meg, and, uh, and then you'll turn it over to Barbara. I love you both. I love you. Well, Barbara, it's you and me. Yes. So what I wanted to add to, uh, to our discussion about like when things don't work out the way we want them to work out, what I've, I've been able to prove, it takes a couple of years, but I've been able to prove that every time something didn't come my way that I wanted, whether it was a relationship, a job, an opportunity, I always got the affirmation down the line of why it was best for me not to get it. So the way I'm trying to live is that I get what I'm supposed to get and I'm supposed to get the rejections I get. I'm supposed to get the disappointments I get. I'm supposed to get the hiccups I get. I'm supposed to get climb up the ladder of myself every day to try to find my muse. That that's equally as important as any joy, any affirmation, any abundance. And I think that is being alive. And so that is my aim as I approach this next birthday is to embrace all that comes to me because it is for me. So when something bad happens, instead of going, why? I say, how do I use this? How do I use this? So I wanted to add that to our conversation. I love what you just said. It's really a great, great lesson. It's hard. <laughs> but I say one more thing and then I'm going to leave. Commit every day to getting at least nine no's. I think it's really, really important to whatever that feeling is, to honor it, acknowledge it, and let it go. And I start my day, Richard, by reading from the 12-step program, which I belong to, just for today, number one. I will live through this day only. I may have a lot in front of me, but I will just focus on one thing at a time. And if we could just focus and let go of yesterday and whatever, and just focus on today, so many wonderful things happen because we're clean, we're clear, and we're honest, and we're authentic. And that's that's really and truly a gift. And that's why I love working on stage because so many things happen that weren't part of the script. And if you go with it and have fun with it and you break the fourth wall, which means go with the audience and laugh as your nose is running and your eyes are, you know, and you take a piece of Kleenex and you throw it thinking it's going to go in the trash and it doesn't. And you got to be honest. And that's the key for me, being honest. So I honestly love being with you today, all, both of you. And Richard, you know how much I love you. So thank you. Thank you, Meg. I'm going to start writing that book that I started um, uh, 25 years ago. If I can do it, so can you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. You help me. See? Brava. 
Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.